Good morning, afternoon or evening, wherever you are in the world and welcome to the Bloody Awesome Movie Podcast. My name is Matt Hudson from whatiwatchtonight.co.uk and joining me from across the pond, this guy can knock at my cabin any day he wants. It's John Burke from BurkeReviews.com. How are you, sir? I'm doing quite well, Matt. Uh, sitting here drinking a Americano that I made with my Nespresso machine. Um, oh, man. I, guess well, actually, be- I, I can I can almost uh, rival you now, kind of. Uh, my brother's going to let me have his, um, I think it's a Dolce Gusto, pretty much the oh. same thing you put the pod in. I say, let me have it. He was going to sell it. And because he's such a lovely brother, and I know he listens, so I've got to be nice. He's uh, He has gifted it to <laughs> me. So I shall be... Uh, but again, like we just said off off air, be like Burke. I will be like you, and we can share coffee stories instead of the weather now. Ah, I am a big fan of coffee stories. I did just get some new uh, Vertuo pods for the Nespresso machine. I wish they were sponsors. They are not. But uh, <laughs> I got this. What I made today is um, Kona. It's like their special uh, double shot espresso, and it's quite tasty. I'm quite happy with this purchase. Um, overall, like the machine and the coffee, uh, it has been I, I I don't want to say life changing, but I have not bought Starbucks all year, um, and only Dunkin' twice because I had a, a gift card given to me. Otherwise, all of my coffee has been homemade uh, in the Nespresso machine, and I'm not complaining about it. it feels feels good. Uh, do you um do you take it to work with you? Do you put it into some sort of thermos flask as well? So I uh, my morning ritual, uh, which is probably <laughs> too, too many details, but I make a cup of coffee because uh, i buy the coffee vertuo pods um yep, to time. have with my breakfast and then i make a americano in a like a yeti type to go mug um, yes, yes. that i drink uh throughout the the morning um and that's usually it until after school and then depending on if i'm coming straight home or going to the gym will depend on if i go coffee or some other source of of uh caffeination because i don't sleep enough folks and uh i need i need substance uh sus- you put sorry sustenance. In your coffee john do i put what butter in your coffee no is that a thing oh because of the apparently it's a no. thing apparently yeah, it's a oh, thing you can put butter in it keto was doing that because of the uh the fat content um that is not for me uh that sounds horrible i got healthy my my i used keto to jumpstart the weight loss but my goal was to like live longer not to poison my heart with butter <laughs> so yeah, yeah coffee and butter together no, no, no i mean i like coffee and i like butter but not together do you know what i mean there's so many mm-hmm. things i wouldn't put together i like apple and cinnamon and that goes well together i like pork I do, and apple they go I think well together. i did try it like early early in the keto thing and i was like this is not for me um it so sounds no. like it'd be really oily and horrible um yeah uh that was my re- remembrance of it was it was um also because i uh i didn't uh, coconut oil is also very common uh, because yes. of the same reason. And I did try that. And that was, if it separates at all, it is unpleasant. So yeah, I, I did not do that after one attempt. Um, no time for that. I've had coffee all day today. So I'm having to, uh, I'm having to detox with water at the minute. I have a bottle of water right here. I also have a um, bottle of water. There we go. My friend, I've been up, up, up town, up London and went, uh, went to a couple of, to a coffee house, had a really nice latte but I'd had one this morning before I left and during the afternoon. So I've had about three. Uh, mm. So that's enough for me today, my friend. Uh, and I don't, maybe I'll need caffeination when we talk about the film that we have tonight for oh. review. Maybe, maybe not, John. Um, for those who are new to the show, firstly, welcome. That was uh, the bloody awesome coffee chat. And now we're going to move into the movie review. Each week we take a film, which is the biggest release of the week or the most interesting release, or sometimes just one we really want to talk about. 
uh, and we deliver a non-spoiler review on this episode. And then a few days, we're going to drop a spoiler mini-sode. So 10, 15, 20 minutes of our spoiler thoughts. And tonight's one, JB, here we go. He's back. He's back with Sham Hammer. M. Night Shyamalan is back with his latest film, Knock at the Cabin. Uh, he wrote it alongside Steve Desmond and Michael Sherman. And it stars John. It stars Dave Bautista, Jonathan Groff, old uh, Christoph himself, uh, Ben Aldridge, Nikki Amuka Bird, Rupert Grint, Abby Quinn, and Christian Quee. I certainly hope I've said that correctly. Uh, like we said, no spoilers, but we will read the synopsis from IMDb. While vacationing, a girl and her parents are taken hostage by armed strangers who demand that the family make a choice to avert the apocalypse. Now, that has been in all of the trailers as well. Um, M. Night's films are, are recently have been divisive. Some people say he's been th- he went through a slump and he made a return. Uh, others just say he hasn't been great since the 90s. Or there are some who worship at the altar of him. However, he has been very divisive in years gone by, which I'm sure we'll talk about. Critically, John... On Rotten Tomatoes, the critic score sits at 68% for this film. Interestingly, the audience score is 66%. Well, here we go. 63 on Metascore, 6.3 on IMDb for a user score, and 3.2 out of 5 on Letterboxd. Double that, that's 6.4 out of 10. This is firmly rated in the 6 point something out of 10, or 60 out of 100 category, with critics and audience alike. Uh, you can only see it in theatres as well. So if you want to check this film out, you're going to have to uh, leave the cabin and go to the theatre. Uh, John, just a quick one. This is based on a book. Who is the author of that book, uh, sir? Oh, that's only because you've read unfair. it or listened to it. Um, <laughs> I am, I am the movie guy. I did happen to listen to this book, but that's a far we'll, stretch. Hold on, we'll it's get the cabin. Info. Cabin at the end of the world. That's it. Um, is written by. A dude named Paul Tremblay. I assume not Joseph's uh, father, but I don't know. Now I'm wondering. Or or, I'm sorry, Jacob. Jacob, my fault. Uh, Let's see. The movie guy Paul just Tremblay. screwed up the name of a major actor. But nevertheless. <laughs> yeah, you got um, the book name, but not the, not the actor. So this is based on a book, uh, which I haven't read, but John has. So John's going to be able to. Red, red a, is strong. Oh, I have listened. Listened to, <laughs> you listen to the audio book. <laughs> so John's going to be able to give comparisons, especially more so in our spoiler mini so. But right, M. Night Shyamalan, love him, hate him, or whatever. I don't think anyone can deny the fact that M. Night just delivers up original and fairly unique stories, or at least films that aren't generic. They're not entirely safe. Um, and I think he's done that with Knock at the Cabin. But I do also think this is uh, safer than some of his more recent films. And I don't mean that as a negative. You go into an M. Night film and you're waiting for the twist. You're waiting for that twist, usually in the third act. Now, whether or not you get that in this film here, I'm not going to say. However, the film itself feels a little bit more focused on things other than a big twist, which I uh, I was very happy when I watched this film that, I, that when, when all was said and done, I thought, Oh, good. You know, it, we, we're relying on more things other than just the kind of, ha, gotcha moment. Uh, I thought Knock at the Cabin's very decent, John. I thought it was very solid. I liked mm-hmm. Older last year. I think this film's better. Um, there's a lot about it I liked, especially the acting in this film, and that's across the board as well. Yeah. Now, I say that knowing full well Dave Bautista's in this, but this is this is clearly Dave Bautista's best performance in a dramatic role for me. And Bautista has been very vocal 
well, in for years saying he wants to be taken seriously as an actor. He wants to work with the most talented directors out there. And he's been doing that. Yes, he's been doing some absolutely abysmal made-for-TV kind of soccer hooligan films, but hey, man's got to get experience somehow. However, regardless of the size of the roles, the man has been eking out a very, very decent career in the last few years working on some of the biggest films. Dune, Blade Runner 2049. Um, I'm already forgetting some. He was in one of the Bond films. Uh, he uh, uh, Spectre, unfortunately. Spectre. He worked with uh, uh, Zack Snyder when he fronted Army of the Dead for Netflix. He's obviously now working with uh, M. Night Shyamalan. So Dave Bautista is certainly putting the hard work in, and I think he is the best of the recent WWE actors by far. And he's really good in this, actually. He's got to try and sell. The role he has to sell is multifaceted um as to uh, he's kind of having to be empathetic yet at the same time kind of sinister he's kind of got he's got to portray a guilt over what he's doing as well as like a steadfast determination for the reasons that he's doing it for and they use his they use his hulking size very well but it not 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 over the doesn't come at the expense of his acting. I think he's good. Ben Aldridge as well is very good. Uh, John, I can hear you in the background. Sorry, I was... Uh, no, of course. The book, um, I was wondering about D- Batista's character, and the character is described exactly as it is portrayed on this. So it wasn't oh, like... Oh, that's interesting. Yeah, right, because when it was cast, I was like, it's weird to cast Batista in this role, because he just looks yeah. so out of place. That is how the character is written. So uh, well, they even like describe him as kind of hulking, and then this the personality doesn't match the body. Um, and I, in spoilers, I have a theory that is not grounded. Uh, I don't think either the book or the movie says this outright, but I'm kind of curious um, about something. But it is just like it's it's on the level of like a fan theory and nothing else. But um, gotcha. it is um, it is interesting for me because again, like. I, I would never want to see The Rock in a traditional romantic role because he just doesn't look like you could be, you know, with a with a standard Hollywood actress and The Rock together feels, nope, that's not possible. Like, he's, he's yeah. a, uh, he doesn't look like a human being and neither does Batista. <laughs> the Rock. Right. And Batista also doesn't really look like a human being. He's this, he's so gigantic, especially, I mean, just even in the poster I'm looking at on Letterboxd right now, of him next to the other uh, three people that he, you know, are knocking on the cabin. Uh, he doesn't look, it looks like they Photoshopped some giant next to these normal people. Yes. And, um, but that's how the author intended, which I think is just really interesting. Cause I totally thought when I saw the trailer initially, I was like, this is weird casting. Cause he does not fit even like, I know the glasses are the recurring theme with him. Uh, Cause mm-hmm. it, um, you get that in Blade Runner 2049 as well. Yes. Um, and I, I think he actually wears glasses. Uh, I think even in Glass yes. Onion, he's wearing glasses. So, but they they don't look like they fit him. Like they look like they're just this odd. You know, maybe it's like Clark Kent. You know, like <laughs> do you think that fools us? Do you think we don't know you're a giant monster underneath those glasses? Like, come on, we see the rest of you, guy. Like you're not you're those not the guy with anyone else normally. But Dave Batista, they're tiny. They are. They're so tiny, and they oh they God. almost look like. A prop like he went into the prop closet it was like what if i wear these and everyone's like take not off. gonna say no because he's batista he'll crush you yeah. you know like batista bomb me through the cabin um well, that's very interesting context to know that he's actually described like that because when you think about it next to um 
next to the characters like you've got um abby quinn who is a yep. who in the in the film she is a she's a cook or she was a cook or she's a cook you've got a nurse called sabrina who pl- who's played by nikki amuka bird and you've got uh rupert grint's character called redmond who is he is the bad guy of the bunch and again no spoilers here but it's rupert grint but when you kind of put them all together batista stands out like an absolute sore thumb but uh, I'm mm-hmm. interested to realise that that's that's uh, purposeful, um, right? So I think that yeah, the, the the actors are all very good. I also I also want to shout out Christian Kui as well. Uh, I think she's a little cutie pie. I think she's really good in this film. Um, yep. So I wanted to give a shout out for her as well. Uh, the I think the film her, certainly in the first two two thirds, the camera work and the camera angles are very well used. Shyamalan knows how to frame a scene and has how to composite his actors. It's very psychological in the way he, uh, in, in the angles and techniques that he employs alongside the DOP. Um, and the, and it's got a nice atmosphere. It's got a nice tension. The movie kind of escalates more and more and more. And it does start with a bang. You know, you're in this within the first 30 seconds. You're not it's, yes. you're in, you know, it's not, oh, let's spend, let's spend 20 minutes with the family um and find out more about them no no we we, we meet uh when the young girl and then we're off bang and i really really appreciated that as well uh, i also think the handling john of the of the the, uh, the parents as they're called in the synopsis is has is done very well it's jonathan groff and ben aldridge uh the when talks about her two dads and this is part of the story, but they do kind of weave that in the, the, the fact that they're two gay men together with a child. They do weave it in somewhat uh, as we go about, uh, obviously kind of from I mean, a persecution angle, but I think it's done very yeah. well. Um, other than that, John, so we've got, uh, I think the flashbacks, there's flashbacks in it. I think they betrayed the momentum a little bit, just a little bit. And the ending, which we're not going to get into. I think the, uh, for me, John, I think the ending was a bit limp. I think the ending was a bit weak. The way it mm. just ends as the way it does. Not bad, just weak. I, th- I really, really enjoyed where we were going and what was happening. And I just think the way it ended just felt a little bit flat for me. But it's a good film, John. We've got faith versus reason, selfishness versus selflessness, family, faith. They all come into this uh, to create a very taut thriller that gets going and doesn't really stop with its momentum other than its use of flashbacks, which can derail sometimes. But I thought this was very, very solid JB, very decent. It's another, uh, there's another step up the ladder. Apparently that M Knight's having to climb back up to redemption. You know, everyone, every director's had a few lulls along the way and M Knight's no different, but I think this is a very decent entry to his canon. John, what did you think about knock at the cabin? Well, I was trying to find, I thought I had a screenshot of a headline from, I think it was Variety, and they claimed uh, that this movie was slow, and I thought that was, like, you don't have to like this movie, I, I'm content with that, um, but to call this movie slow, I thought it was crazy, because it, unlike, what I expected going into this was that it was going to be 15, 20 minutes before we got into the knocking, like, yeah, we were going to have to establish who this family was, and why they're at this cabin, and that's not the movie, the movie is... Here's a little girl catching grasshoppers in a jar. Here's Dave Batista, who she should be terrified of, but he is so disarming. And Especially so, how they frame him and shoot him in that first scene. Yes. And he's, I mean, he towers over everybody anyways. And this is an eight-year-old little girl. He towers over her, but him, <laughs> you know, helping get a grasshopper and he's so gentle with doing it. Yeah. Uh, you're in this movie, like you said, 30, 40 seconds. We are moving and i think the knock at the cabins within the first 10 minutes 
Um, yeah. And it's methodically paced for me. It's not slow, right? It's it. I don't think it's slow ever, but I do think it is uh, definitely deliberately paced, as you were saying, methodically. Um, because I, I don't think the movie gives you a chance to breathe in a sense of you are in the conflict instantly, right? Like you, and then there's, I felt like the tension holds through about three quarters of the movie. And I do think the third act, it's, it's very much M night's mm-hmm. perspective. If you have followed M night's career, like I have and seen like signs and um, the plot structure of this, I wrote in my review is very much split uh, split utilizes flashbacks and characters set in a traumatic situation, locked in a single room, essentially. Um, so the plot structure is very, very similar to split. Um, and I think you could make an argument that the flashbacks in split hinder uh, a bit as well. Um, mm-hmm. I would say mm-hmm. though, that the source material, the flashbacks are also part of it. Um, different, uh, but that you still are like kind of jumping back to like learn who these characters are, uh, specifically the the couple at the center of it. Um, I'm going to get names: uh, Eric and Andrew, um, Daddy Eric and Daddy Andrew. Uh, yes. As it's fun to hear Batista say, um, so softly. Um, and uh, we don't get uh, backstory for the other four adults, um, but. I, I, not, not in the same way. I mean, we don't get the flashbacks. Um, I, I didn't have an issue with the flashbacks, although again, it did harken back to something Shyamalan has fallen into, which could be a crutch at this point, um, for his, you know, I want this story, but I don't want to start there. It helps the pacing though. Cause again, we could have started with like an up montage, right? Where we're like, we, we learn who these th- yes. this two guys are and then how they get their daughter and how they end up at this cabin only for then knock, knock. And here we are. Instead, we, uh, we start right there. We start in the conflict and then we progressively learn more and it feels thematic. Um, I think there's a lot of signs in this movie as well. Uh, as in the film signs, not as in like actual signs. Um, with M Knight's kind of structure of faith and, and, you know, how, uh, the things in our lives can make us question our faith. Um, and that where I think the book and the movie deviate severely uh, in terms of their take. And that's where this feels like an M night Shyamalan thing. Um, in the, uh, on Reddit, I read, um, someone had commented that this didn't feel like it needed to be directed by Shyamalan, which is a criticism he received for after earth and the last airbender. Um, both movies that he did not write. And I would, at least I don't think he wrote last airbender, but it's not an original property either way. Mm -hmm. Um, and this is not untrue here where it, this is not an original property, but if you've read the source material, it is clearly M Knight's take on the story. Like it, it, again, the first third is like, I mean, dialogue is taken from the book. Like exact lines are said in the book and the movie. Um, and then it deviates extremely after that though. Like there's a key moment. I don't, I don't, it's still technically a spoiler because it's, it's a major thing happens in the movie where once that happens in the book, it happens in the movie at the same point. That's where it it is. The, the line of the original author's intent and Shyamalan. You you said that. And now I I spent, I've spent the last week or five, six days racking my mind as to what part that is. So roll on the spoiler mini. So next week. Yep. Yep. Um, but it's uh I, I really loved everything. It was weird seeing Ron Weasley do a, an American kind of Boston uh accent. Yes. Um I had I've not seen Rupert Grant in much else outside of Harry Potter. Uh, so it was kind of more so than anything. 
It was it was cool. I thought he was good in this. I, I like you said. I have no complaints about the cast. I do think Dave Bautista is excellent. Um, I'm a big fan of Jonathan Groff. Uh, I forgot he was um, in Frozen. I think of him from Hamilton because he's the one. He's the king in Hamilton, yes, which he- is great. And then um, he's in the Matrix uh, uh, Resurrections, right? That's yeah, of course one. he is. I'd forgotten about that film. But yeah, I do apologize. I have, uh, um, so I I really like him, and I think he's great here. Um, and I think Ben Aldridge is also very good. I, I, I have no complaints. Um, I do think the ending kind of falls off a little, um, you know, I, I also, I feel like there's restraint shown by Shyamalan for once in some ways. Uh, I, I think the dialogue, especially cause I've now read the book, the dialogue's not as stilted as like old, which was one of the complaints a lot of people had with old was that they don't speak like people. I get that. And I don't disagree with that. I just happen to be okay with it um, where other people aren't. And I totally, I can understand that. Uh, it's, it's weird. I am definitely much more positive on Shyamalan than other people. I don't like all of his movies and I have some very harsh criticism for specific ones looking at you, the happening. Um, but this is definitely in the top tier Shyamalan to me. Um, I, I would you know easily put this like, I want to say five. I'm a big, big fan of the the trilogy, though. So, like, Split and Glass, even though I think Glass is flawed, I still love it because I love Unbreakable, Split, and Glass. So, like, I think of them as a... You can't separate them in my head. So, like, they get a little bit of a push because of that. Because I think uh, Unbreakable is my favorite Shyamalan. I think that's his masterpiece. Um, I think you're right there. Every, a lot of people would say The Sixth Sense, but I think Unbreakable which I think is great. top for me. Oh yeah, I it's think not like it's a million miles apart, but I think yeah, Unbreakable for me just takes it. I mean, and obviously that I'm very partial to comic book movies, and I do think that is the best comic book movie that's not a comic book. You know, like it, it's just so it's so great. It's about comic book movies, and it's it's it kind of predicts where film goes without knowing it was going to go that way for mm-hmm. sure. Like we hadn't hit the Marvel sans of sorts, um, but. So this is up there though for me. I definitely think this one's great. It's not a five star to me though. It's it's like I have it at four, and I think that's right. I think it's got some issues. I have the same. It, it, it's slippery at the end, and I, I don't I don't dislike the end. Mm-hmm. It just as as emotionally invested as I was in moments of this film, it doesn't hit as hard as I think it needed to. I will say without talking of the differences or even what happens, I also didn't love the book's ending. So like, I don't have, I don't know if there's like a good way to end this story that will release the book ending. I I find it, but I find this as a thought experiment, very, very compelling. I think it's, and I love stuff like that where it's like, what would you do if you are told by four strangers that you have been chosen to decide the fate of humanity and evidence starts to appear that they could be telling the truth. Um, mm-hmm. What do you Mr. do? Mr. Mystery. Like it, it, and even more, once you know, do you owe it to humanity to save it? Like, it, it's such a... Is humanity sp- worth saving as well? And that's not yeah. me being Mr. Pessimistic. Yeah. But and I'm not know. saying I would feel that way, but I'm saying, like, I like this thought process. I yeah. think thinking through stuff like this is powerful. Um, and the reality is when you deal with a philosophical question like this, that doesn't have a definitive clear cut answer. It's going to be hard to have an ending because there isn't a clear cut answer. That's the whole point. So changes for everyone. isn't it? And you mentioned it philosophical. You and I mm-hmm. could easily sit here now and say, if I was in that situation, this is what I would do. Right. 
But imagine if you were actually in that situation, then it suddenly yeah. becomes a different story and the philosophical becomes reality. And that ending is then different to the one you thought you knew, which is the, which is there is the paradox. The reality here is that we are getting what M night thinks the ending should be. And when we read the book, you're getting what Tremblay thinks the ending should be. And they are definitely at different points of perspective. Um, and I think that's where, uh, for some, this ending is probably amazing because that's what they want to happen. For some, the book's ending is amazing because that's what they personally would want to happen. Mm-hmm. And I don't think that's true of a lot of films. I think a lot of films, we ex- the ending is clear-cut. Like, the good guy should win. But here it becomes, who's the good guy? How do you decide that? What What is winning in this scenario? This doesn't feel like there's a true winning uh, situation, right? Like, one way or the other... Um, a, a horrible thing is going to happen and there isn't a clear cut. What's the, what's the happy. There isn't a clear, I don't think there's a possible happy ending in the everybody's happy kind of way that we are so accustomed to with, with traditional storytelling, right? Where you know, ah, the, the, the prince gets the princess and he kills the dragon and everybody lives happily ever after this story can't end that way in, and feel fulfilling. And, I, I, I think that's why, while I agree that the ending is not great, it may not be that it's not great. It may be that it's just impossible to to satisfy many people with the nature of this type of, of thought experiment. And yeah, I, I will say, though, I enjoyed the ride. I thought it was expertly <laughs> shot. There's some really cool camera work in this movie, um, especially when you t- take into consideration it is predominantly in one room. There's not a lot of opportunity for camera work. Um, he doesn't go the direction that Tarantino did with the hateful eight and using like wide lenses in this tight space, but he does use a lot of close-ups and uh, a lot of canted angles because the world is skewed severely for our characters. And the, it, it, he's not afraid to do that. Um, we get some almost feels like direct addresses to the camera, but they're not, you know, like they're talking to characters, mm-hmm. but we're so down the barrel of the lens that it feels that way. And I think all of that really works to, to put you into uh, the feelings of the people trapped in the cabin, like you're stuck with them. You're, you are in this space uh, for the hundred minutes that this film is. And it never once felt long to me. That's the, that's why I don't feel like it was slow. Cause I was like constantly like yeah. reevaluating, questioning. Um, what do you remember as well? The film doesn't to your point is because of the, the dilemma, the quandary, let's just call it for to kind of downplay it somewhat that the characters all face you're kind of you the, the film almost makes you question if there are protagonists and antagonists uh, antagonists yes. and who they are at what point of the film there is a it's very clever in a sense that you could assume that the guys uh, the guys and girls banging on the door are the bad guys but the film then set, makes you challenge you to look at yourself and think well actually are they oh, you know for the for the greater good or for their greater purpose are they the bad guys or are they going to, are they at times, can you look at Andrew and Eric and think, you know, guys, come on, you know, are they suddenly skewing more into the, Ooh, this is, they're, they're becoming more antagonists. That's not to say that they're portrayed as villainous or anything silly like that. No. But there is a kind of flip flop there, which I found very intriguing. Yeah. And, and I think there is, there are, there are twists and turns, but not in the Shyamalan tradition. It's more of the yes. traditional storytelling where you want to keep, you know, some information is revealed gradually rather than all at once. And, uh, you know, it keeps you invested. And that's for me, like it's, it's 
all of the things that we like about Shyamalan are here. And it, it, it you know, all the good, a uh, lot less of the bad. That's not to say there's no bad, but I mm-hmm. think significantly less. Um, there's more restraint here as well, which is very, yes. very good to see uh, from M. Night because sometimes I feel like there has been a lack of restraint in some of his films or um, sometimes getting a bit too excited at certain moments or when the twist arises per se. I think there's less of that here. I think it's much more straight up here. So much, this is a psychological thriller and I think it's played like that. There's not really any, like you said, it's, it's not really any kind of like wild deviations or anything like that. It's, it's very much, it's more focused directing. And I get what people say. Did you need M Knight to direct this? I mean, at the same time, I don't need M Knight to just give me wacky films all the time. Do you know mm-hmm. what I mean? I'm, I, I quite like the idea of a director directing something that they want to. You know, they, he's obviously heard of this or read this book or listened to an audio book like John and thought, yeah, I, this, this, this excites me. This has got me thinking and I want to make this now. I don't need a, a twisty ride all the time or interconnected stories and or all these other stuff like that. I'm, you know, if, if it's just, I've always found it odd when I hear that sometimes when it's said, oh, anyone could have directed this. Maybe they could, but then you could get a film which isn't as nuanced as this or as well yeah. shot as this or well cast as this, right. say. I was gonna say I think they're they're underselling what he can bring to the table. Like they're yeah. they're acting as if the the twist is the only thing he offers. And if you look at like um like Sixth Sense and Unbreakable, a lot of it is his patience with the shots. He's he's willing to I let a, a shot linger, and other times he he's quick to cut. Like he is he he understands the form. His sensibilities are are different than I think a lot of people, yeah. and that's where I think the the taste really comes into it. And, and directing um, isn't just saying cut and go. This the directing that's not yes. what it is. A director has yeah, that's why you have auteurs because they have their own stamp. Mm-hmm. Uh, every director brings something different. Shyamalan's vision to this would have been different to say Fincher or something like that. You yes. get two distinctly Ooh. different films. That's not to say one would be better than the other, but. I, I think I kind of want to see a Fincher version. Oh, I do kind of want to see a Fincher one now, but I think it is a bit. Um, I think it's a bit negative, a bit derogatory sometimes when you look at a director. Thing. Agreed. Yeah, they don't bring. I'm, I'm sure there are some out there who could say, "You know what? I'm not entirely sure they brought anything to the party." But uh, I don't. I'm not sure you could say that about M Night. And I don't think that's necessarily a derogatory. Like I, Ron Howard is a director that I feel like his voice is not very distinct. <laughs> like he makes good movies. He also <laughs> makes some bad movies, but if you were to put them back to back to back, you wouldn't see a pattern in style that you do with someone like Shyamalan where no matter good or bad, you can tell it's a Shyamalan film. And I, I do feel like this feels like a Shyamalan film in, in many ways. Um, I do think his sensibilities specifically though, really shine through this. I think his themes, uh, especially again, when you compare it to the book, you see the Shyamalan of it all. Uh, Spielberg often referred to as overly sentimental. We just were talking about this in our group, or not a group chat, in our, our text chat yes, uh, the other were. day. And Shaman is kind of guilty of that too. Different sentimentality, but he has a very clear kind of like, this is how people should be. And it's like, well, maybe not. M. Night was like, nope, this is how they should be. It's like, oh, all right, okay. then that's going to be your thing. And yeah. Um, but yeah, that's, uh, I, I think it's, it's top tier Shyamalan. Mm. It, that, again, still doesn't mean people are going to like it. It of seems course. like though, mostly positive across the board. There are some people who really hate it, but mo- it seems mostly positive. 
yeah look i always look at i always look at five out of ten as your average anything above that is, a, is above average therefore is positive so um yeah we're both up on the latest m night Shyamalan release knock at the cabin i tell you something though jb roll on the spoiler mini so i might just take a, a back seat and say john you take this one because i want to hear <laughs> about the deviations from the book i want to hear about the Shyamalanisms from that yeah, so so um, i guess heads up listeners uh, if you are going to listen to the spoiler episode, we'll give an extra spoiler warning, but it won't just be spoiling the movie. It'll also be spoiling the book. Um, so, so uh, I checked the book out, uh, the audiobook from our li- Most public libraries have either um, Hoopla or uh, I think Overdrive is the other popular audiobook yes, thing that um, you can use with free with your library card. And that's, I got, I got the book from Hoopla literally on my way home. Uh, editor from book reviews, David was driving us home. I was like downloading the, uh, the, audiobook and i listened to it in two and a half days because i was really like i picked like usually i do an audiobook just like in the morning when i'm like getting ready for work that kind of stuff i actually chose to finish the audiobook rather than watching a movie i think on thursday night because i was like i just want i want to know all the 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 details so i just like sat and listened to it while i was like on my phone or whatever um so don't i don't usually listen to audiobooks the way i listen to this audiobook but i really wanted to get through it um partly for this podcast but also just because I, I was really compelled by the story and I wanted to see what the differences were and their significance. So, well, there we go. Tune in on Monday then for the spoiler mini sode of Knock at the Cabin. I'll be tuning in even though I'm on the show because I want to hear everything John has to say. Well, until then, let's move on to our next segment, which we call Chuffed Headlines. Here, John and myself, we take a movie or pop culture headline that caught our attention and we share it with each other and all of you listening as well. So, JB, what's you gone for this week? So, really, like, we, we select articles and I did uh, peruse this article, although a lot of it is like, uh, I don't, a lot of these articles tend to repeat themselves as they like are filling word counts. So, it's just like, yes, you essentially <laughs> yeah. said this. I picked this article more to focus on specifically what I want to talk about. There was a lot of Disney news this week, but. Toy Story 5 is happening. And uh, Mm. this article, the headline is perfect because I think it is my concern. Um, With Toy Story 5, Disney could undermine yet another perfectly good ending. Look, folks, I love the Toy Story franchise. It is arguably my favorite franchise um, at this point. um, I love 1, 2, and 3. And 3 was the the movie that finally made me accept crying at movies. Like I was you always were in tears, weren't you? Yeah, I was always desperately trying not to cry at movies. I avoided mm. sad movies for a long time because I didn't want to cry. Toy Story 3 broke me not once but mm. twice in that movie. Like in that there's two key moments and if you've seen it you probably know what they are. I know exactly um, what moments they are. It is funny and, that's the power of the storytelling that it can an animated film about toys can bring you to your knees almost. Yeah. Twice. And th- every time I watched it, it happened. Like it wasn't just like the first time, every time I've ever watched toy story three, those two scenes shatter me every time. But that was the moment that I was like, I'm going to let myself cry at movies. So it was mm-hmm. a game changing thing for me. It, it, it shaped my worldview for a, a big moment with that in mind. I went into Toy Story 4 very apprehensive. Like, there's no way they can top Toy Story 3. There's no way they can even live up to the the greatness that is Toy Story 3. Why would they do that when they've ended the trilogy perfectly? Mm-hmm. And then I walked out like, wow, they did it. I can't believe they made a movie that I... With Forky, mind you. A character named Forky, <laughs> who I thought, no way I could love. I love so much. Um, I really love Toy Story 4. I've only seen it twice. 
Um, I want to watch it again, though, to be honest, because I am a fan of it. I thought it was great. Um, for me, I have grown up with that franchise. So, like, I was a little too old for Toy Story 1. Like, it was, it just, like, got past my I don't watch cartoons phase. Mm-hmm. Um, and I really liked it. Toy Story 2, easy, won me over. Toy Story 3 hit uh, nostalgia buttons for me. Like, this growing up, moving off to college. I was a few years out of college already. But Toy Story 4 is the parent movie, right? Where Woody has to let go. He has to stop being the dad. He has to now start living his own life. It hits perfect for me at this age. (laughs) But what are we going to get for Toy Story 5? Is Woody going to be in it? Or do we let Woody go? And is it just the other toys? Like, there are ways to do this but is it just gonna feel like a cash grab or not i'm concerned again it doesn't tarnish the other four movies by having a fifth one even if the fifth one is bad and i was far more up on lightyear than most people even though that is essentially separate from toy story it's not it's still a character we know because of toy story i still think lightyear's better than most people gave it credit um I don't think it's a masterpiece. It's not in my top five animated films from last year, but I still thought better than we gave it credit. Um, I'm worried. Matt, what are your thoughts? Dude, I remember when on this show, when Toy Story 4, in the lead up to that film coming out, we used the words you just used. It feels a bit like a cash grab. I can't mm-hmm. see how they're going to evolve the story after the 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 majesty that was toy story three genuinely a wonderful way to end a trilogy off they did toy story four i thought i know they are i know it has its detractors but i thought toy story four was very very good and again there's a moment towards the end where you just can't help it you got to get the kleenex out because someone's cutting onions again it happens um toy story five I don't this time John I generally am starting I'm not worried like you say because we've got the first four which are great we've got the first three which are insanely good the first four which really really adds to them but what man we've we've had Andy's story we've had Woody's story are they going to wrap up Buzz's story now are we going to like you say are we going to kind of check in with Woody because that feels cheap are we just not going to have Woody at all and because the power of Toy Story for me was the gang Mm-hmm. But but it's Buzz and Woody, isn't it? It's 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 Tim it's Tim Allen and Tom Hanks. It's it's them together is Toy Story. Now I don't want to be one of those purists who has says, well, no, you've got to you've got to stick to the rules every time. But kind of racking my brain as to what the story is. If it's something like Buzz realizes he can't let Woody go, then he's got to go and look for him. Does that then undermine the film that came before? Uh, I don't know. It, it, I'm really interested in this film. I'm not going to write it off. No way am I going to write a Toy Story film off because the fourth one surprised me. I can't wait to find out what the story is. And I also, I, I'm going to, I'm going to put some chips down now, JB. I think Woody will be in it. I don't think they're not going to have Woody in this film. I don't. Mm. I, I can't see a Toy Story film where they don't have Woody in it. Now I don't know whether that will be like kind of like sentimental, manipulative flashbacks or something. But I think that they will be it'll be like ghostbusters afterlife saying woody woody will turn up at the end did you miss me or something like that and it'll be like and it'll be the Uh, crowd moment yes woody's back or something like this but uh or they'll just incorporate from the start but i am not i'm worried for the film that that, that this film as a standalone as such like just what can it bring to the what can it bring to the table because you get to a point in a franchise when the first four were so good you have to be as good as them it's not a case of, well, the first four good, so yeah, I'm not going to give it a pass. The first four films are so good that this this film has to 
It has to legitimise its existence. It has to validate its existence by being as good as the first four. Otherwise, what's the point? I know there's been a lot of upheaval at Disney. Bob Iger's come in. He has cracked the whip and made a lot of uh, people redundant, which is never a good thing. We And we do feel for everybody involved in the cost-cutting measures at Disney, 7,000 employees have lost their jobs in a in an effort to reduce costs by $5.5 billion. You know, the bottom's fallen out of the tech bubble now. Bob Iger has made a tough decision. And as I mentioned, I, it's, I, you know, I feel extremely sorry for those who are caught in the crossfire. It's never a nice thing. On the same day, they announced these new, these legacy sequels, which, you know, it kind of felt a bit off to me. A couple of them, I don't mind, but this, this one stuck out to them at the most to me, JP, is a kind of... Yep why it's all about the why what's the point and like i mean for the most part pixar has been pretty consistent um and mm. obviously with the toy story franchise specifically uh i even like a lot of their little shorts and spinoffs that they've done um yes i don't think they're as good but i've enjoyed them but yeah i am i am concerned yeah well hopefully well, look, hopefully we can be proved wrong once again by disney yes. pixar bob Iger, and woody and buzz and the gang bo peep and everyone maybe bo peep will be the the front runner in this film who knows but uh we'll find out soon enough jb uh, but it's an interesting one i'd love to hear the listeners thoughts on a toy story 5 and where they think it's going to go or what, what's the point of it um my one john my story my headline is um well i mean if you think toy story 5 news is a horror story I've got one for you here, John. It's from Screen Rant. I know we don't often go for lists on this, but there is a reason for this. There's an M. Night twist to this. The um, the article by Cathal uh, Gunning. What a name. The headline is, Every incoming major 2023 horror movie ranked by hype. So they've got 11 horror films. There are going to be obviously mm. a lot more than that, but these are your, your big players. And they've ranked them by the what they consider to be the hype. The reason I picked this one, John, is because I'm going to quickfire throw you the names of these films in order okay. that they're on this list and ask you for your hype. Uh, yes, no, maybe. You know, are you excited for it or not? Um, because I know you're now, you're coming into this franchise a lot more now over the last few years. So um, I'm yeah. going to read them out, John. Are you ready? I, I think so. Are we going from 11 hi- to 1 or 1 to yes, 11? 11 to 1. Sorry, this is from, okay. this is, is it decent? Ascending. I always get it wrong. Ass. Ascending. Right. Number 11 is The Nun 2. What's your hype level for The Nun 2? Uh, take it back. Yeah, like, good. let's not do it. Uh, the first one's bad. Why would we do a sequel? Like, come on. Uh, the James Wan universe needs to end. Like, whatever we want, the Conjureverse, whatever we're calling it. It's terrible. Wandering. <laughs> yeah. Um, yeah, no, I thought the first film was <laughs> it was awful, wasn't it? So um, bad. here we go. Oh wow, Saw Ten. Um, a, a little hype uh, because they're returning to the original uh, content, right? Like this is not following um, Saw or what was uh the Book of Saw stuff? Man, what was it called? Spiral. Spiral. It's not doing. It's not the sequel to Spiral, and it's not the sequel to Jigsaw. Right? We're trying to like return back to the original saw is my understanding so like a yes, little hype following on from that story apparently and tobin bills in it somehow uh, i don't know yeah god it sounds terrible yep but right i uh, i'm with you i'm not excited for it i haven't really liked many of the last few saw films or their spin-offs i think it's 
is a conceit that they could like like the James one the one wandering they could just probably do away with it now. Um, this one uh, I may give you a bit of context for. It's called the Last Voyage of the Demeter. Um, the, here we go. The first of 2023's two Jack Dracula retellings. Of course, the other one is written. Mm. Uh, this film, The Last Voyage of the Demeter, or the Demeter, takes a single chapter from the novel of Dracula and expands its story into a full-length feature film. So basically, it re- it's the, 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 the title. It's the journey from Transylvania to wherever he goes you, or whatever. You know it, my friend. Yes, it, the, 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 the vessel in the title is Dracula's ship, the one he gets on, the one he gets on, the one he boards on his way to London. And it's directed by Andre Ovredal, whose last horror film was... Uh, scary stories to tell in the dark and i believe he did the autopsy uh, of jane doe i think um so really like troll hunter troll hunter that's the one he did yes so how any does any of that tickle your tickle your melon i'm intrigued um there's a lot that i think go wrong with this uh <laughs> one i'd love to know how long it is this feels like it should be a 90 minute movie max and, it, and i feel like it could end up being like a two and a half hour movie it's like okay we're overstaying our welcome on a boat um it's the whole voyage uh, I mean, it, that this moment in like Nosferatu and Dracula is really short. So, like, it's wild that we're gonna like expand on it. I mean, it's it's alluded to. Uh, it's also technically in Morbius because there's a whole like cruise liner that comes back, everybody's blood sucked kind of thing. So, I don't know. Is that like is this more a, a sub sequel to Morbius? Uh, who knows? Um, oh god. Uh, David Dashmaklin um, is in it as Wojcik, though, and I do like him. Um, that's an interesting I, bit of casting. Yeah, I don't reckon that, oh, Corey Hawkins is in this. Um, yeah, I like Corey Hawkins a lot. That's interesting. Uh, I'm, I'm definitely. I didn't know about this movie. It's on my watch list for sure now, though. So I, I'm, I'm on board for it. There we go. The next film, John, is The Strangers, not the uh, original 2008 film, which I think was very good. Instead. This is the reboot of that film, directed by Rennie Harlin, in what is going to be the first of oh. a trilogy of films. Oh, that doesn't sound good at all, right? Like that's like nope. the first Rennie Harlin's great. not usually very good. Am I am I no. thinking of the right person, Rennie? Yes, Harlan. you are thinking of the right person. Yes, okay. Uh, yeah, you're definitely thinking of the right person. Yeah, I mean, he's had a few here and there, which are good, but mm. yeah, yeah, no. Um, it's a it's why, a strangers why, trilogy then. Well, why why do you need that branding? Just make a movie about strangers like, you know what i'm saying like the the yeah. it's not like it's a very specific premise in strangers like it's stranger you know what i'm saying like there's other <laughs> movies that have a similar premise that aren't called strangers why is this one strangers like we just, done just a film make another movie cabin about people who knock on a cabin like the strangers do yeah it's a different film but um yeah this one doesn't excite me i, I think the strangers in 2000 i think the original one was uh, Liv tyler scott speedman really like a really tight horror film really condensed and claustrophobic and the ending is the ending is not so grim but i already know what the ending is so if this they, film follows they already soon, did a sequel too like uh pray at night yes yeah which i own but have not seen uh it's fine uh it's not as good as the first one i think on retrospect it's not as bad as i first thought it was but i can't imagine a rennie harlan version being any better um okay well number seven we've mentioned the big d himself dracula is renfield Oh, uh, so much hype. I am a hundred percent on board with this. Um, can't wait. Uh, very, very excited about it. Yeah. They showed a trailer in front of knock at the cabin and this, it was, everyone was hollering when Nick Cage came on. So, um, looking forward to that one insidious five. No, 
I don't even think the Insidious trilogy is good, much less the the what was it, Skeleton Keys? I think was the last oh. one or something like that. Um, and then like I I I think that movie again. I am not a big James Wan fan. I think he is overrated, and I continually have to argue this. I think he's gotten some good movies, but I also think he has a lot of bad movies, and the the sequels are my evidence to that. Like, he's definitely... It's like, I've got... It's like Tyler Perry, right? Like, the early Medea movies are pretty good, and then they he's on, like, cruise control, right? This is my formula. I'm just going to pump them out, and that's what Juan seems to do with his sequels. Like the first well, one, this one's directed by Patrick Wilson. Is his first ever directorial really? effort? Yeah, is he in it also? Uh, I believe so. Um, we'll follow the story of. I oh, know. I think it follows the. It looks like it follows the son of the people in the I mean, first few films. I, I guess he's what, directed. It's been fifteen years or so since the first in a while, one. So. Yeah. Um, so I'm he's going to be directing it all. I don't no, want. I don't go. want this or the nun. Take him back. Yeah, but how about this one? Oh, this one. The next one is the Boogeyman, which is an up uh, an upcoming adaptation of the Stephen King novel. It's directed by Rob Savage, who did Host, which you and I loved on Shudder very much. Yeah, uh, Dashcam, which I hated. Um, did not hear good things. I do believe. I think it stars Vivian Lyra Blair, who was a uh, young lady in Obi Wan Kenobi. She's in it. Yeah, uh, Chris Messina, who is almost always great. Um, yeah. Oh. David Dashmacklin, then this is back. Man, that guy's going to be his year, isn't it? To be fair, it's been his year for the last few. He's been in quite a few big films. Um, I I don't know much about this. Uh, there was a a 2000s movie called The Boogeyman that I I think yeah. is bad, but I liked it at the time. Um, <laughs> I haven't seen it since then, but I, I really enjoyed it uh, when I saw it. Um, it's probably terrible, but at the time I liked it. So, um. And there was a wrestler named the Boogeyman that was a lot of fun. So why not? I'm going to say I'm hyped for this. Let's do it. Let's have some fun. It, it probably end up like, um, oh Christ, what are some of those films we watched recently? What was that one we watched? The Last Exorcism again, or whatever it's called, Devil. Uh, the Oh, Pray for the Devil. <laughs> uh, probably uh, yeah. like that. No um, bueno. A few more to go. This one is Salem's Lot, the uh, the second Stephen oh. King adaptation. Salem's Lot is uh, is written by. One, I was no, it's directed by Gary Doberman, who was one of the screenwriters of It. So he also writes it as well. Um, Salem's Lot. Now, correct me. There was a TV movie adaptation yes, that was like was. very. It was a miniseries, wasn't it? Like yes, like six right, hours. Yeah. The movie's clocking in at 113 minutes, according to Letterbox. Um, oh, but we get Lewis Pullman. We haven't seen him in much. Mm-hmm. Uh, he wasn't Maverick, but uh, like I think of, I think of. Uh, um, Bad Times at the El Royale when I think of Lewis Pullman because that's the movie to me where he's like our focal point. Oh, he's in the crappy Stranger sequel we were just talking about. Um, <laughs> I am uh, I am interested in this. Um, I'm not familiar. I'm only slightly familiar with the story. I've, I've never sat through the uh, the miniseries nor have I read the book. Vampires again. But I know people love this. Um, this is like one of his bigger uh, books, isn't it? Like People really enjoy Salem's Lot. Yeah, yeah, it's one of the ones where it's one of his most popular books, and it's it's one which it's a big book, and like, you, yeah. like you've just said, a six hour miniseries. There's so, been a few. There's been quite a few King miniseries because the books are just there's so much to massive. pack in. That's what I'm wondering: is this is this a planned sequel trilogy? Like, do they have a a, a series in mind? Because in my head, I want to say yes, but uh, the article doesn't confirm anything like that yet. I'm curious because it's if it's under two hours, I'm like, are you cutting out everything? Is it going to be too 
too uh, ad- adapted to the point where it, it doesn't feel like it's even doing the Stephen King thing. It's just like they go for the skinnamarink route of just not showing anything. Oh yeah, we'll just look at door frames. Yeah, or Lego. Um, okay, uh, three more to go, JB. Now we're getting into one of the big hitters of the year. Comes out next month. Scream Six. Yeah, uh, I, I'm hyped. I am aggressively apprehensive about it. Though. Like I, <laughs> I, I love the Scream franchise. I've even, I would say, I've come around on the Scream franchise um, all the more, uh, especially three. Because for a long time, I just hated three, and now I like, nope. Three was ahead of its time because it kind of predicts the the trilogy wave that follows it. But I, I've grown to like three where I used to hate it. I, I've always liked four. I, and it, five surprised me. I, I really enjoyed five. I do. I haven't rewatched five yet, though, so I do need to rewatch it. I just it. I don't know what they could possibly be commenting on in six um, based on how like the other movies all have very specific you know, referential points to film. And I don't know if maybe they're going to deviate from that. And my biggest fear is the plot line with, with the, the dad being uh, Billy. I just, I just don't know what they're doing with that. And I'm, I am on, I'm apprehensive yet. Everything I've seen so far, I'm very excited for. So like I'm all in, but Oh, ready to be disappointed. (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> I'm pumped for this man. This, the trailers have really sold me, and the potential has sold me that we could be getting a very different Scream yes. film with different rules or no rules. But Scream has always kind of lived and died. Well, that maybe that's it. It's always lived and died by this meta kind of quality or what it can comment. It, it can commentate on within the genre. Maybe th- maybe this is literally a new rule now where it's going to be a. It looks like it's going to be a much darker film. Maybe that's the point of it. Maybe that's it's talking about is it's kind of in, inverted within itself. But I'm very excited to see that. Of course, we've got General Ortega back, and her star is only writing. Uh, two yeah. more. <sighs> right, I saw the trailer for this in front of Knock at the Cabin, alongside Scream Six as well. Evil Dead Rise. Mm-hmm. What do you think? Um, so I love the Sam Raimi Evil Dead trilogy. I only saw the the. What Andy Muschietti, right? Uh, did the Evil Dead? Uh, that, that was uh, oh, different. Freddy Alvarez. Freddy, uh, sorry, who I have been mixed on. Anyways, um, I forget. That's what. Um, so I like that one. I don't love that one because it's uh, it's hard for me to not. I like the Bruce Campbell of it all. Um, it's dark as hell, isn't it? It is, uh, and this one is is it connects all of them. I understand from my understanding, like it's supposed to like kind of unify them as one universe, one book of the dead. Um, I'm, I'm excited about it. It seems interesting. Uh, it seems terrifying, which is what you want from the evil dead franchise. It, it does seem to have its, uh, a little bit of the, the dark twisted sense of humor that the franchise is connected to, um, or at least previous before the, the, the last one. Um, so I'm I'm excited about it. Small chance. Uh, I'm I'm hoping I'm going to be going to a horror film festival in New Orleans uh, called uh, Overlook, and there's a good chance uh, there's a good chance this is going to be a part of it because this is officially at South by Southwest um, where Evil Dead Rise is debuting. So I'm hoping it's going to just kind of carry over to Overlook and be like the big movie of the festival, but not, not, nothing's confirmed yet or anything like that. So this isn't like breaking news or anything, listeners. I have no inside information. Uh, just timing and speculation. Um, but yeah, I, I'm I'm hyped for it, for sure. I Definitely, it's on my list of things I want to see. 
I'm very jealous that you're getting to go to that festival. Um, my hope is kind of here. It's this, this film was an NC 17, so it's going to be rated R, which I know a lot oh, of wow. gore heads are slightly upset about given just how far they went with evil dead. If you could, like, I've always said, if you're going to call a film evil dead, that is as much as as close to a film called the evil dead as I could expect the Freddy Alvarez version. It is grim. Um, this one though, there's, there's a, the trailer looks creepy, but it also has a few things in it, which really grind my goat JB horror cliches which really wind me up uh mm. including the possessed person climbing up a wall and, ha- ha- and just sitting in the corner of the, in the, of the ceiling always gets uh, yeah. me, always annoys me that does because it takes me out of it too much uh speaking of things that could take you out of it too much or possess people doing things with their body they shouldn't do i didn't know this is number one but the exorcist is number one the david gordon green oh. reboot that this was number one in my most anticipated only because of my fondness as you know for the original what about yourself though john i mean at this point i have uh man i just saw that leslie odom jr's in it and that made me t- oh and and doubt and, yeah, uh, and, and uh ellen burston's back yeah got a great I mean, cast i i am so soured on david gordon green after halloween kills and halloween ends like it is really hard for me to get past that um so right now I am not hyped about the Exorcist uh, Legacy sequel. Right, it is it is a continuation of the first movie. Uh, yes, it's it's going to uh, well, it, it's a direct sequel to the Exorcist nineteen seventy three to Billy Freakins. But David Gordon Green in some kind of like hand wavy comment said, "Well, you know the other films still exist within the timeline, but that clearly he's obviously not going to reference them or retcon them." I, I so just which feel one like- is it? I feel like he's getting too much power and I don't like it. Well, he's, he's also down to do another um, horror. I can't remember what it is. So guys, forgive me. He's also down to helm another horror reboot series. And I can't remember what all he was down to do. I know he was down. He was originally going to do a Hellraiser as well. So he's kind of just carving out a niche now is just remaking other people's films, which this is going to sound controversial to some or even a little bit mean, but that's lazy. It's a lazy, lazy. I mean, Halloween kills and ends obviously are his original properties, but I mean, the reboot of Halloween originally was going to reboot Hellraiser. Now is or equaling those films, or equaling The Exorcist. Just give us a David Gordon Green film that isn't tied to an original IP. There is something which there is something unimaginative for me about somebody who just takes other people's films and redoes them, so he can then continue the story on. Make right, do your own stuff. However, I am excited for this film, John, because Halloween 2018 was solid. I hope this yeah. first film is solid. It's a requel, uh, so it's not a reboot. If it was a reboot, it'd be a different story. The cast is great. I just kind of wonder how, what, what do you do to, again to make it serve its purpose, to make it feel like it belongs? Do you have another possessed kid? In which case, we've already been there in the first film and you're retreading it. There's got to be something different, but it won't be because we know there won't be from the story that they've, the synopsis that's dropped, the, the the official one. I'm just really hoping that someone says evil dies tonight. Are they going to say it, man, when they're doing the exorcism? The evil dies yep. tonight. The power of Christ compels you. They're, they're getting rid of that. And evil dies tonight, throwing holy yes. water on her. They're going to they're gonna, they're gonna revive Father Merrin somehow just so he can do it. And Karras is going to come back just so they can scream that at the devil. They've got to play on the nostalgia somehow. Come on. 
Um, yeah. Well, they've got Ellen Burstyn back, which is a win for me. But um, so sorry, hype levels for this film, John, is more negative due to the director. Is that correct? Yes, significantly. Um, although, if I find out that it, it is the father, because uh, he was a boxer, right? Wasn't is that part of the plot? If I'm remembering, correctly? Father Carius was a boxer. Yes. What if? What if? What if? He mm-hmm. has learned how to possess people. And so it's going to be possessed <laughs> by the demon and possess, And we get like a, a, a Rocky two level boxing match of, you know, Reagan versus whoever the new person is possessed by father Karras. He's like, I'm going to meet you on your playing field, but you're going to meet yeah. me on mine. And it's like, John, you know, you're giving him ideas, John, um, you're going to get know, out of a job. I- I mean, I'm, I shouldn't just give that away. Uh, listeners, if you would like to donate uh, <laughs> to pay for that idea, uh, so I can get it trademarked uh yes please but uh yeah no sorry um couldn't help no, myself you are quite right and no, no word on whether linda blair will be in the film but I'm, I'm sure i'm sure they'll find a way to bring linda blair back for the boxing match with the spirit of father Karras, which i'm exactly i'm here for um that one that was a, a longer one uh in, in comparison to normal but uh it, I, we don't often do lists so there we go just for this week so that was uh john and my hype for the upcoming horror films now let's move on then to our final worst well, penultimate segment media consumption which is where we talk about the films streaming series tv shows video games music uh, podcasts which aren't ours whatever we've been using to pass the time since the last episode john what you've been checking out well uh as per usual listen to the blank check podcast this week they had covered um uh, Danny Boyle's film, A Life Less Ordinary. And wow, um, I like Danny Boyle movies. Uh, I don't like A Life Less Ordinary. It is... <laughs> just because of Ewan's hair. It's such a disaster. Uh, no, not just because of Ewan's hair. If only it were because of Ewan's hair. It is such a wild swing of... It's like, there's so many pieces of the movie that could be good, and then there's just so much that is bad. Um, mm-hmm. The episode, though, for Blank Check is really good. I do... If you have a means to watch the film without having to buy it, I do regret I did buy it because um, I don't <laughs> see watching it again. Uh, like Holly Hunter and Delroy Lindo play what are essentially are angel detectives. Oh. Yep. Okay, and what, well. what is their job? Because they're angel detectives. Well, clearly they must be solving a crime. What if I told you that they must convince two people to fall in love to prove to heaven that true love can exist because the divorce rate is too high. Uh, I tell you to stick that idea in the bean <laughs> and there's more to go. That's just the beginning of one plot line in this movie. Um, really? I, I don't think it pays me. off very well, but nevertheless, it's the leads are Cameron Diaz and Ewan McGregor, not the two people who I just said, but solid uh, cost though. Yeah. Oh, ins- insanely good cast, dude. Both Dan Hidea and Tony Shalhoub are in this movie. And so is a very young, but still bald. Uh, oh, man. Uh, I cannot believe I can't think of his name. I Vin always Diesel. know his name. Case of the Stude. Stanley Tucci. Stanley Tucci Stanley is in this. Vin Diesel. I just heard bald and immediately thought of his Diesel. Um, he had but, hair uh, at this point. So I watched that. Um, I caught 80 for Brady in theaters this week. Uh, okay. Sally Field. It? It's it's fine sally field okay. is really good though i i love her in this movie um everyone else is really it's, it's it good week. i rolled my eyes a little bit i i didn't love it it's it's definitely very watchable though um caught father stew did you john i did it's on the netflix <laughs> and oh boy uh <laughs> don't think it's a very good movie uh, i think it's got its issues that are somewhat problematic because mark Wahlberg is 
basically playing Mark Wahlberg, but uh, yeah. Mel Gibson is his dad. Uh, oh, good. Which has some issues. Although <laughs> I have to admit, I've always liked Mel Gibson as an actor, not as a person. Um, yep. And there is something innately watchable, even in a bad movie. He still mel gibson there's chemistry there's not chemistry but there's charisma there charisma uh even when he's playing a jerk he still there is a moment where his character is supposed to kind of get a little bit of a redemption arc and he sells it really well i can't deny that like i think he's he's obviously got talent the dude had a massive career before he showed his dark side um yes but yes, uh, it's almost like john and myself talked to each other off air and i heard him i could hear him <laughs> cursing at the screen whilst he was watching Father Stu all the way from across the Atlantic. Yeah, I I had some major problems with this movie. It's very cheesy at times. I don't think Mark Wahlberg understands tone um, because sometimes like, he feels like he's in a different movie than what maybe the movie should be. Um, I don't think Wahlberg's a bad actor, but I do think he's a very mm. one type of actor and if he's cast correctly could be entertaining. I don't think he's I don't think he's cast right for this. Um, I guess I watched the original Valley girl for the first time uh, as part of the um, other directors challenge. Uh, Mm -hmm. And also partly because I'm kind of want to like work through Nick Cage's filmography, not entirely because he's done far too many movies that aren't worth the time, but the ones that are, and I haven't seen, I want to check out and Valley girl has always been on that kind of weird, like cult movie list. Um, I like it. I don't love it. But I like it. Uh, it's. Have you ever seen it? Uh, no, I haven't. It's. It's definitely worth checking out. Um, it. It feels like an eighties movie in a lot of ways. Uh, interesting though, because it is a female director, but there's still a lot of like the you know teen gratuitous sex sequences. Um, so you have those without the male gaze, but it's still like I was surprised at the number of them. I was like, okay, this is clearly like eighties. Is like you could hear the the studio notes like uh, more sex, more nudity. You know, this is a teen movie. It's like yeah. yeah tone it down maybe it's a teen movie like what's going on but um i thought cage is really good there's a he says f you at one point like he's like tells like he doesn't say f you he says the full phrase but the way he screams it is so like nick cage top tier like over the top level performance that i i i loved it i was like rolling like that is a that is a nick cage worthy delivery of that line that no one else would have given and it's <laughs> it's great um so you get moments like that that make it worth watching um and then uh, I can finally talk about these four movies, but I'm just going to list them really quick. But um, I, I watched M from 1931. Uh, yes. Le, Le, Le Havre. Le, it means Le the Alf. Haven from 2011. Um, sorry, I don't know how to say it. Ace in the Hole, Billy Wilder's film from the 50s, and Stalker, the 1979 Russian uh, Tartoski, I think, film. Yep. I, I hope I'm. Um, liked M a lot, except I do think it drags towards the end. I, I And I think it's just you know, partly because of the time period, like the stuff that we would want to see in a modern day, like, like uh, it's one of those, it's, it's problem. It's not problematic, but it's the, the subject matter is dark. It's a child murderer. Um, but it, at some point it's just like, okay, either wrap up the story or something else needs to happen because there's a lot of just like people looking for and like hunting him down. But you see the, the formula, that many other thrillers have used since then. So it was really cool to watch it for that reason. Um, Le Havre, I thought was good. Uh, I don't, I don't always think like dry humor works if you don't speak the language that the movie's mm-hmm. set in, like, because it doesn't feel the same in text, you know, like when you're reading like sarcastic humor, 
uh, you don't always get the tone. And especially if you're not familiar with the culture and the perspectives, um, sometimes you don't understand that something is a joke. You know what I'm saying? Like, cause yeah. you don't know the, sometimes norm. the translation isn't one to one as well. Right. Exactly. So, I didn't find it as funny as I think it's supposed to be, um, but I still thought it was a good movie. And uh, Ace in the Hole I like a lot because it's kind of like a fake news Kirk Douglas movie. And so it's like, well, yeah, okay, it's Billy Wilder. A lot of it works for me. Um, I think the lesson that is taught in the film is strong. Have you ever seen Stalker, Matt? I haven't seen Stalker, no. So this movie I was not super familiar with, um, and it's it's apparently like, super well regarded and, and influential. Like it's inspired tons of other films. I, I, I definitely like it. I, what I full disclosure fell asleep like three times, but I don't blame the movie. I think that was, I was tired when I was watching it and I had to get through it last night. Um, and I nodded off a few times, but some of it feels kind of silly in like, not silly. I don't like, it just feels like, okay, I want to tell the story, but I only have access to this like piece of land and I have these props. I have nuts and fabric. What if we tie the fabric to the nuts and a character will throw the nut and then we'll walk to that nut. And by nut, I mean like a metal nut that goes on the end of a bolt, right? Like yes. this is a recurring plot and this movie is almost three hours long. So like when there are sequences where it's just a guy standing at the front of two other guys tossing a nut on a rag and then walking to it, it is like, okay, I get it. I understand. But my God, can we cut this out of the movie, please? Like I, Needs one time Lego. was sufficient. Um, but I've read a lot. And so I'm, I don't know that I love the movie, but I, I really love all of what I'm learning about, like the role of the film and the impact of the film. And it's also its relationship to Chernobyl because it's before Chernobyl, but apparently like predicts a lot of what kind of goes down in some ways. It's not that it's not a one for one by any means, because it is much more philosophical in nature than it is like a traditional, here's the sci-fi, you know, take on it, but um, definitely worth checking out. And some really cool uh, color uh, use in the film. Um, I saw someone compared it to like the wizard of Oz in certain moments are uh, almost like sepia tone. And then everything other moments are in full, like technicolor magic. Um, so that's kind of reminiscent of wizard of Oz, which I thought was a cool comparison. Um, not, so much thematically or story but just the use of color no so i have to watch it it's important and tv i did watch andor episode three um i did i i, th- I think it explains kind of where the show is going like you said uh i also realized though i was not watching it watching it like i was doing other stuff and i i think i need to like not do that with this show so yes when i watch episode four i'm gonna just watch it um which is what i'm doing with the other show Ooh, last which of is? us Ah. Last of Us episode four. Um, I thought another really good episode. Mm-hmm. Um, I am so excited to see Melanie Linsky because I've been a huge fan of hers for a long time. And I like that she's hopefully going to get more mainstream attention because of this show. Because she is a tremendously talented actress. And she's just introduced here. But I can't wait to see what happens with her character. Yeah, I like this episode as well. It was uh, when when I reviewed it, I was I was honest enough to say that the first three episodes were spellbindingly good, ridiculous. That this this isn't as strong as those first three episodes, but I'm not expecting every episode to be a nine or a ten out of ten. This is a this is one of those episodes that bridges the gap to where we need to get to. It introduces new characters, new situations for our pr- uh, protagonists, introduces the bad guys, and it just expands on this world a bit more. 
Is it a bad episode? Not one bit whatsoever. Um, I'm looking forward to your reaction to the next few episodes. One of my favorite things, though, of this episode is the relationship growing between Joel and Ellie. Um, there is a scene towards the end with a joke, uh, a, <laughs> even the use of the pun book in general in the episode. But the, the final one I thought was fantastic for those two characters, like seeing those characters like growing mm-hmm. into uh, getting to know each other. You know, we're getting past the, the initial frosties. Uh, yeah, the, we're we're starting to trust each other, and I, I like seeing how the, the chemistry between those two actors are, are is tremendous. So, yeah, yeah, it obviously gets built upon throughout the rest of the season in such wonderful mm-hmm. ways. But that's what this episode did the best. Whilst I w- I was slightly underwhelmed by the the antagonistic faction in this episode, I kind of thought, and that includes Melanie's Mel- character as well in this episode. Didn't dislike was just slightly kind of, yeah, yeah. I, I'm not, you know, I have nothing to fear here. That was my thoughts when I watched it first time. But what I took away was everything you've just said, especially when you get to the end, is that this is about Joel and Ellie, and this is obviously the focus and the, the heartbeat of the story as a whole. But they're crushing it. You know, Pedro Pascal gets better and better and better, and like we said, this is his showcase, more so than any show he's been in recently or film. This is his showcase, a show that he is... He is not just the internet's daddy. He's that good as well. And Bella Ramsey is excellent as Ellie. Excellent. So um, looking forward to uh, watching it each week. It's coming out It's coming out earlier this week because uh, some as a football game or something on Sunday or kickball or whatever you guys call it, throw ball, NFL, Super Bowl, they, I think it's called. That's on this week. So the episode five of The Last of Us is coming out on Friday night uh, for our American friends or Saturday morning for our English friends or wherever it is you are in the world that's coming out earlier. Um, have you been playing any games, John? Uh, I have still been playing God of War uh, Ragnarok. Um, not as much, uh, not nothing against the game. I just have been super busy. I did play a little bit this weekend and then um, I haven't played since Sunday, but uh, I, I do love the game. Can't wait to see where it keeps going. Um, enjoying oh, yeah, the story so played? much. Oh, I, I don't know. Prop. I mean, I'm only playing on the weekend, but I, I I would say it feels like at least six or seven uh, minimum, if not more. A, I, a decent chunk. Yeah, yeah. Um, but I'm, um, I'm still pretty early. I, it feels pretty early. I, it's hard to tell with the God of War games sometimes. But yeah, because I haven't played them. I've just that one. I've just seen a gameplay on YouTube. So six or seven hours. I've no idea where that could be. But I I have seen all of the gameplay and um, really interested to hear what you think about it as someone who's played through the the other games as well. Mm-hmm. Uh, maybe I should. Maybe that's one of the games I should think about playing next. I think uh, so. Yeah, I'm on to that. Um, for me, John. A uh, smaller list for me. Uh, the Last of Us episode four again, as I mentioned, I watched that. Um, in terms of podcasts, again, it's kind of like a miscellaneous bag for me. I'll, I'll, so I'll, I've listened to the Double Toasted podcast. I watched it on YouTube. I listened to the Nightmare on Film Street episode they did this week. Um, I didn't listen to Josh Horowitz because I didn't see who the guest was or things like Dead Meat. Some dep- it depends on the film or, or whom is being interviewed as to whether or not I actually listen to the episode or not. Same with the Happy, Sad, Confused podcast. So the, the guest sometimes has to reel me in. So sometimes, in terms of my podcast listening, it can be quite up and down. So not yeah. many this week. In terms of films, though, you mentioned War of the Worlds earlier on. We watched that this weekend, and I text John, and I was like, do you know what? The War of the Worlds is actually really good. And so I remember seeing it in 2004. Five, I think it came out. I remember going to the cinema to see it, and at the time, thinking this is okay, this is all right. I, I couldn't, I couldn't really get past the Tom Cruisiness of it all at the time. 
Um, plus also the fun fact is the original story, the HG Wells story was set in my hometown of Woking in the, um, in the common Horsell common, not far from, uh, from here. That's where the, the Martians originally settled in the story. And then they blew up Woking, the town I'm from, they blew that to pieces. And the town has many, many references to the war of the worlds. We have a Martian in the town center, like a big, I say life size, but a big metal Martian. Now a lot of the, um, like the event centers and things like that are named after hg worlds and things like that so uh war of the worlds is is extremely uh prevalent in my hometown but they chose not to film here they decided to do it in la instead but yeah i, I really like war of the world i think it's really good tom cruise is very good dakota fanning's good um and tim robbins is also very really good in it Mm-hmm. but the ending oh i just wish we mentioned over sentimentality i just wish spielberg wasn't so over sentimental in the with the ending i think the i think this film could have been for me almost top tier if not top tier spielberg if that final 10 20 30 seconds had been different do you just, oh. did you notice um now that you've watched this uh the to me in white noise when they're they're trying to flee the toxic airborne event and they're all like going to the um like the quarantine zones that whole sequence of like the roads being full of cars and the way like the accident happens feels like uh bombach recreating spielberg's war of the worlds like that so i i was that was one of the things i really liked about white noise is like this is bombach like paying tribute to other filmmakers styles yes and i I thought that was really cool yeah bang on and and all the world's quite dark as well it gets quite dark throughout which i forgot about as well it's it's not like a it isn't quite the breezy sci-fi film you might expect it is very much a sci-fi horror film from spielberg apart from that damn ending but um i can get over that i also watched i watched two films other films this week john uh international films both of them the first one was a film called Surrogate. It's an Australian horror film. Now, uh, I saw somebody I follow on Instagram was talking about it, and I, so I liked the post and checked out the film page. I was like, oh, it's, it's, it's an independent film. Australia. I like Australian horror. I think they've got a really good scene over there. And then, lo and behold, the director, uh, David Wing, sent me a message saying, would I be willing to watch the film? So I said, yeah, sure you know it was it's available on amazon prime in the uk or you can send a screener link i thought well i'll take the link please um so i watched surrogates which is about uh a woman who gives birth despite not knowing she was pregnant or showing any signs whatsoever after a run-in with um somebody who clearly has issues put let's say like that and then the film follows this kind of mystery as because she's already got a kid as child services are following her because they think she might have you know killed the baby because they can't find the baby she gave birth they, oh. they delivered it but they can't find the baby um uh, and at the same time she's kind of haunted by visions of a of a dead kid um and then they got to try and work it out how it all gets to it from there i thought it was very decent i thought it was very derivative of many other films uh the ring the grudge the babadook things like that come to mind but it was a very solid effort. Um, I haven't put my review out yet. The director did actually email today, uh, DM today to say if I'd watched it. I said, yes, I thought it was very decent. Uh, but I will always be honest in a review and say that, it, it, you know, it wasn't wholly original, but it was very decent nonetheless. A couple of good performances in it as well. Well shot, well made. A good film. It's on It's on Amazon Prime. Surrogate, it's about an hour and a half. Uh, if you like slow horror films, then 
you, you you probably get some enjoyment out of this. I think the ending was that was was I think the ending actually salvaged it as well. Not that it wasn't good, but I think the ending was so strong, very solid, very good endings that it kind of elevated it. If I if, it, if I was going to think, yeah, I'm not so sure. The ending nailed it uh, for me, which made it at least a very decent film. Um, and I also watched a film called uh, Who Was Sarah, the Bone Woman. I hope I've said that right. I know it was at Tribeca last year, but I never got around to watching it. Uh, again, the publicist sent an email. Would you like to watch this? Um, it's on RT. Rotten Tomatoes got a 98%. It's a Mexican horror film. I was like, yeah, sure. I, again, and, and this isn't me being an awful person, but I don't often reply to some messages that come through because I'm like, you know, I've got so many oh, yeah. films that I so want to watch many. that are like mainstream, if you will. And I don't mean that to be negative, but I was like, I don't know. But I, I but when it's a horror film, um, hopefully this won't lead to tons more emails, but when it's a horror film, I generally, you know, at least give it a look or at least see what this synopsis is about. Uh, and I, I, I recognize the name from a festival when it was Tribeca and it's a Mexican horror film about, about a woman giving birth through giving birth again or going through pregnancy the two horror films i've watched this week are about women and their experiences with pregnancy this one is directed by a woman in her debut and it's very very strong it's a very very good film um and it's it doesn't go the way you think in terms of oh you know the the the, it's, it's i won't go into too much but it's basically about a mexican woman who her family is they're constantly putting her down because she's not you know, she's she she's not doing her duty as a woman. You know, she's not she hasn't had a kid yet. No, she's mm. married, but where's your kid? And and they and they also um, put down her auntie, who is the only member of the family who is childless. She's also the most happy in the family. But it talks about a woman's place in having to have a baby. For like the like her 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 works work studio at her house is torn down so they can build a nursery, whilst the husband's uh, office next door. No, that, that stays put. Uh, uh, but it's more than that. It just gets very psychological, very deep. There's some excellent sound design, and there's there's some grim visuals, horrible bone cracking scenes, and the sound is, like I said, mentioned is bang on. Uh, very, very good film. Who are Sarah? Uh, again, I hope I'm saying that correctly. But Who are Sarah, the Bone Woman? Uh, it's a very good film, which I checked out this week. But other than that, John, nothing else. I watched a film called Knock at the Cabin. Maybe we'll talk about that soon as well. Ah, uh, maybe. Yeah, heard of it. Um, well, it was a bloody awesome week overall for film, by the sounds of it for us, for the most part. But do you know what's good about this podcast, John? I mean, I think a lot of things, but what? It's bloody awesome. And so are we, but we have to we have to conjure up ways to stay bloody awesome this week. So, John, how have you been keeping those bloody awesome levels up? So for me, um, one of my New Year's resolutions is to try to socialize a little more, especially I've always been a little antisocial as I'm uh, introverted by nature. But um, after the pandemic, uh, it became all the more uh, simple to like, well, I'm not going to go into public because, you know, disease. Uh, And while obviously COVID's still a thing, I am vaccinated. And in our state, it is it is almost in like as if it never happened that's the attitude whether or not it's true it does seem to be true because we don't hear about it as much here as other places but obviously i understand why that is but nevertheless um a goal is to try to socialize more and uh connect with people that maybe i i should be connecting with on a bigger scale anyways and um uh so I went, uh, we had a, 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 I guess other people are also maybe feeling the same thing. I've heard a few people say they have a similar resolution this year and uh, a coworker organized a bowling thing with a bunch of our, our, our staff. 
Um, and so I went bowling Friday night with a bunch of coworkers, some I've known for a long time, some I barely know, uh, even though we work at the same place, you know, really I, I work with other teachers, but they're in their classroom. I'm in my classroom. We only see each other maybe a few minutes a a week, basically. Mm -hmm. Um, and so this was an opportunity to hang out and get to know them. And it was great. Um, I had a really good time. Um, did you have beer, soft drinks, nachos, hot dogs? I had water, um, but uh, I did bowl. I didn't bowl very well. Um, I had a few <laughs> strikes, but nothing. I'm not a bowler naturally, but that was no. a great thing. No one was really like an active bowler, so there was no like real com- <laughs> uh, competitiveness. One of my coworkers did get a pizza because this bowling alley has like uh, food and stuff, and nice. um, he he was like, "Everyone have a slice of pizza if you want," you know, kind of thing. Um, and he got Hawaiian pizza. Now, Ooh, I like that. Over the last couple of years, I've become a big fan of pineapple, but I have not revisited uh, Hawaiian pizza since this or until this. And man, I'm I'm on board with Hawaiian pizza. I know there was yes. an internet debate for a while about whether or not uh, we should have pineapple on pizza. I'm here to say I'm on board. I'm team pineapple on pizza. Um, Bloody give me awesome. more of it. Um, I like it. So, yeah, it's not the true Italian way, but. Hey, look, where would we be if we didn't shake things up? Hey, I'm a I'm a big proponent. I love me some pineapple on pizza, John. I'm I'm on I'm on board, man. Like I'm down for I I've actually been craving it. I only had one slice <laughs> and now I'm like, man, I just want like a pizza of that. So Stay strong, brother. Yes, indeed. Um well that's that's good. I'm glad to hear that your uh, your venture out was successful. Bowling's fun. I mean bowling's usually always a win, but it comes down to the company as well, and I'm glad you had a glad you had a good one, JB. Um mine is kind of looking ahead. I've been blessed and bloody awesome by preparing for half term, our break, our kind of pre Easter break from school. I don't get one, I have had to take the week off work, but I shall have the little one a week and it's partly to sort of prepping what to do or what films to take her to because she likes going to the cinema. I think it's more because she gets to have popcorn and like the, the, um, what well, the ice blast kind of drinks. I think she just likes that. But, um, so I've been looking at what films come out. It may end up being something like Puss in Boots again, but she hasn't seen that. I think she'll love that. Um, oh, yeah. and also, and also all the other things to get to do as well. Uh, going, whether it's getting out in the, in, in nature, going for a walk or, or something like bowling or something like that. I like. I get to be excited thinking about what to do. Plus, I've got a week off work, so win-win. Uh, as much as I enjoy work, tolerate work, it's nice to have a week off. Everybody, you'd be lying if you said it wasn't. So, I'm looking ahead to what's coming next week, and I've also been looking at the old movie schedule as well. Whilst I, for me, or certainly in the UK, just January was January was quite sparse. It was a dry month for films. It wasn't really mm-hmm. much coming out. February, there is more stuff coming out now. It's starting to ramp up. Oh, it's- so it's ramping up hard too. like March and April. It just continues to climb. And uh, we've got things like little things like Ant-Man, things like that coming out as well soon. So we've got, we're starting to get the big boys dropping as well. So uh, finding time to go to watch films that I want to watch as well. But uh, yeah, looking forward to uh, spending time with the, with the little one next week, JB. Um, Speaking of next week, the bloody awesome movie podcast. Look, we're bloody awesome. But we're not going anywhere. We're going to be back next week. Like we mentioned, we're going to be back on Monday with our spoiler mini-sode of Knock at the Cabin. So tune in to hear uh, me and JB talk about the deviations from the book, or at least my thoughts on the film. But next week, JB, we are talking about the end of a trilogy again, the end of a franchise again, maybe, in 
Magic Mike's Last Dance. Yes, we are going to be talking about the latest and maybe final edition of the Channing Tatum Beefcake uh, franchise. Looking forward to checking those out. Those films are pretty decent, so hoping this one sticks the landing. Uh, we'd also love to hear what you think about the, uh, Knock at the Cabin, the Shyamalan latest entry. Did you love it? Did you hate it? Are we talking rubbish? Do you agree with us? Have we missed anything? that you think we should have spoken about do let us know keep it polite we're all film fans here uh you can tell us what you thought about the film on twitter if it's still working at bamp underscore podcast b-a-m-p underscore podcast john if instagram's still working where can they find well, us we're at bloody awesome movie pod and john if facebook's still working because i all went down this week you can find us at bloody awesome movie podcast uh you can also find the uh, our review on the tomato meter and rotten tomatoes for knock at the cabin that's going to go up this week i think you can all guess it's going to be a thumbs up from us but we will be contributing to that 68 percent and maybe bumping up by a percent or two to that most famous number of all but uh that will be going on in the next day or two uh, individually you can find me at what i watch tonight.co.uk or just search what i watch tonight across all of the socials including letterboxd and john where are you I'm at BurkeReviews.com and at BurkeReviews on all the social media platforms. Uh, go check John out. And if you like what you're hearing here, we, we certainly hope you are. Please do consider dropping us a five-star rating and review on your podcast provider of choice. It really helps us grow, gets more listeners in, it gets us up the algorithm lists, and it's another way for us to hear from more film fans each and every week. But with that, as always, stay bloody awesome. Keep watching movies. <laughs>